Bienvenidos. Estáis escuchando el podcast Strings Attack. You're listening to Strings Attached. I'm Asaf Maoz. My guest today, I met him for the first time two years ago on stage. I guess he was a bit nervous and I was in the orchestra, accompanying him, hoping that he would do well and win. Win what? Well, you'll hear all about it in a second. But first, don't forget to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple or Facebook, whatever makes you happy. Okay, let's start. Vamos. So my name is uh, Juan Pérez Floristán. Usually people remember Floristán. You know, Pérez is a very, very common family name in Spain, so people usually forget it. And a pianist. And you were talking about uh, the, the, the occasion we met, which was a competition, as people probably imagined already. It was the Rubinstein, Arthur Rubinstein competition from Tel Aviv. And we met at the finals. Exactly. Uh, and I was playing Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto with the IPO, with Israel Philharmonic. And it was a very stressful moment. To be honest, the moment was stressful. Like before that, like 10 minutes before, I was thinking, wow, I, I feel uh, strangely calm. But then everything came at once. So, but that doesn't define me. That's not the only thing that defines me, that I won the competition. I'm from Spain. I'm from Sevilla. I was born in 1993. So I just turned in February 30 years old. So I am not that young anymore but still consider a young promise. <laughs> <laughs> At least there is a promise. Hopefully it will turn into something factual and, and, and real. Who knows? So we'll come back in a second to the competition, but I'm very curious. Do you remember this moment, this time that you realized that piano is becoming the thing that you want to do? I mean, at the beginning, you know, it's a hobby or, mm -hmm. or you, something you go to because your parents chose it for you. When was the moment that you knew, okay, I like it, I want it to stay? Yes, my parents are musicians. So as you said, beginning was like kind of obvious, natural, and non-conscious, okay? I began when I was seven years old, kind of, eight. I went to the elementary music school, the conservatory, and uh, it was fun. I was good at it, which helps the fun. If you are not good at something, you need a lot of... A lot of patience and philosophy to enjoy it, to be <laughs> honest. So it's hard to say. I would say that maybe the, the explanation is the most banal one or maybe the down to earth, not so artistic, which is the moment you, you get some money okay. out of a concert. Really like not much, like maybe a hundred euros, something like that. It's like symbolic. But for a child of maybe I was... 12 years old, 13, a typical concert, local concert, and they give you something. Then you have an, a kind of an epiphany, like, okay, like this, and I got some money out of it. You don't think you are going to make a living out of it? You are too young still. But it rings a bell. And then little by little, you also see that you keep enjoying it. You don't lose the, the, the joy of it. And you keep enjoying it on stage. That's the main thing. If, not if you are going to be a musician, if you are going to be a performer on stage, because you can be a musician that doesn't perform on stage, which is uh, completely, not only completely fine, but sometimes even better. <laughs> you know, you're talking about 
your origin, you're coming from, from Sevilla, from, from the south of Spain. Yes. Do you think there's something in the local roots of this, your heritage, so mm -hmm. to speak, that comes out in your music? I mean, there's a very distinct uh, food coming from this region, uh, yes. bullfights. Yes. Is there anything that influences your music making? Uh, people say so. I don't see it, but this is like ideology. We all have one, uh, but we don't realize. If not, it would not be ideology. Or like, I don't know, yeah, your, your accent when you talk or whatever. For you, it's just how you talk. It's your mother, mother tongue. But then other people realize, oh, you have an accent from the South. <laughs> For me, it's not an accent. For me, it's my, my speech. So this is the saying, I just play music. I don't... And I think about music and I construct mentally many, many concepts, of course. I'm not saying I'm an animal, pure instinct. But like my mother tongue, as I told you, musically speaking as well, it's hidden from me. I, I don't realize. But people tell me so, that they, they feel it somehow. So as I mentioned, we, we met on stage. I didn't know you before. And of course, you didn't know me. And I want to give you... An analogy. For example, in tennis, mm -hmm. in the competition, let's say the Grand Slam, there are lines, there are two competitors, there's a referee. Mm -hmm. The ball goes in or out. It's very clear. Yes. We keep a score and we know exactly who won at the end of it. Mm -hmm. In a music competition, for example, a piano competition, there are no rules There are a few referees that have different taste in music and eventually somebody hopefully wins. What is the what do you find the positive in music competitions because it's very easy to say the negative but what do you find positive? Mm -hmm. Preparation of it, preparing for a competition makes you push your limits a little bit further and test your nerves, and your willingness to go on. So the preparation of it all, I think it's one of the most important things. And afterwards, if it brings like more concerts, for example, that's also experience, which you should cherish as well as a musician. This experience, which fortunately or not, will make you a better musician or a more mature musician and from a practical point of view in today's world where we live this industrial massive uh, status quo where everything is up to 11 uh, and uh, there are so many musicians so many festivals unfortunately it's one of the few ways of for programmers to to have some sense of what's going on. It's not perfect, of course, but imagine festivals and programmers and artistic directors getting 10 CDs per day. How can they know who is worth? So we came up with this like stamp, like, okay, you win this competition, which means now you have this stamp of like this proof. You are kind of good. So people then pay attention to you, which can be mistaken as well. It's not <laughs> perfect, but it's something that programmers use. So that's a very practical thing. I'm not saying it should be like that, 
but in this industrial world we live in, it's so far the only thing there is. And since there's so many competitions, what, I will ask it in an opposite way, what do you think the public doesn't know about competitions? You know, they come and they want to see the, the winning horse, but what do you think they don't know about this field? Well, it would be tempting for me to say that they don't know the strings that are pulled behind and the mafias and like uh, make up like a Hollywood film. It's uh, Reality usually is way more boring than that and thus way more depressing. Everything is relative. Like jury members, usually they try to do their best job, but they're human beings. So many, I have been also in, in some juries. So sometimes it's just really hard to decide. When you listen to the 10th time, the same Beethoven sonata, you are, I mean, people should consider that you members are also human beings with feelings and which, who can get bored as well or fed up of music or they just cannot distinguish anymore. So at some point it's just, competition is a place where people try to get to an agreement which is temporary, which depends also on which competitors were there. So me winning a competition uh, doesn't only depend on how good I am and how fair, fair the jury is. It depends also on who is coming to the competition and competing against me. And I was lucky, not only because I played well, but because nobody else came who could have won it instead of me or had been considered better, better than I was. That's also luck. That's being in the right moment, in the right place. A, an analogy everybody will understand. I, I don't like very much football, but this will everybody will understand. In Spanish um, football team, like the national team, or in every national team in every country, it's kind of like a generation, generational thing, right? Yep. So you are a great goalkeeper, okay? You are a genius of your generation. But in your same generation... Iker Casillas is there, who is even more genius than you are. So you are always going to be in the Spanish team, but as a substitute for Casillas for your whole life. And when he retires, you will retire because you are the same age. Does that mean you were not as good as him? It just meant that means that you were at the same time with this other goalkeeper. Analogies are not perfect, and you were talking about sports before, and I now talked about the sports. But this could also be applied to the arts, and not only to the competitions. Maybe you are a good pianist, but maybe your voice is not interesting to the world you live in. Maybe you were born too late or too soon. Maybe you didn't find your audience. So what the audience usually doesn't think about, going back to your question, is that nobody knows anything. Nobody has any clue whatsoever how the world functions and runs. If I'm trying to go back to your beginning, you were saying that this moment that you were on stage playing the Rachmaninoff Concerto, you were nervous. Mm -hmm. What does it mean for you to be nervous? You obviously practiced so many hours. You mm -hmm. learned the piece inside out. Yes. Why do we get nervous? It's self-inflicted... Uh, Harm, it's boycott. <laughs> it's uh, the impulse to, the, the willingness, the obsession to 
wanting to control everything, which is our worst enemy as human beings and as performers. Control. It's the worst word you can have in your dictionary. Once you are on stage, you should not control. And you start wanting to control when you want a specific output or you feel you are being judged or you, at the end, to sum it up, you are not present in the moment. That's way easier to achieve in a concert. You are present there with your audience that day. But in a competition, part of your brain starts thinking about what could happen if I win? What could happen if I lose? What could could happen if I made a fool of myself. What could, and that's no way of going on stage. So you start panicking. I love it that you're saying that because I once took an audition for an orchestra for a leading position in an mm -hmm. orchestra. And I was, I passed the first two rounds and I got to the final. And then I was standing on stage for the last round. And I actually, I was five minutes away from winning the job. And while playing, I was thinking to myself, do I want this job? Nah. If I win it, will I move here? If I move here, will I like it? And then, of course, I screwed my playing. I didn't win the job. And I was so upset with myself for th two things. One, for sabotaging my own playing. Yes. And two, for not winning and actually getting a, an opening, a new way in my life. You know? Yes. That's, that's really interesting what you just mentioned. Because we usually prepare or we should prepare our students and ourselves to like you go into a competition and you have to be prepared to lose in case you lose okay be strong and it's okay it's not the end of the world but rarely are we prepared to win and um, I usually tell that um, to my students I tell them do you want to win so of course obviously they usually say yes of course and then I say I mean it do you would you want to win this specific competition And then having so many concerts or traveling and in an orchestra position, it's even more clear. It's what you said. Do I want to grow old in this city? Eventually, maybe even having children in this city, maybe they would grow up talking German and not Spanish. Do I want that? Uh, nobody has an answer. I'm not saying you should do everything in life with all the answers. As I said before, nobody has any, any clue of what we are doing. But you have to... To, to, to ask those, those questions because even if we, if we don't know, many times we are afraid of winning. So do you actually talk with yourself or with your students about mental preparation, about, I don't know, maybe uh, meditation, yoga yes. or anything that prepares the soul, not only the, the muscles, the me memory of the muscles to win mm -hmm. the competition, but also how to prepare that the whole spirit can go through this uh, experience. Yes, I do. And actually, I give some intensive courses, seminars about stage presence and stage fright in Spain. And it's usually one weekend, four hours one day, four hours the next day, without instruments, with sweatpants, whatever. And we do many exercises, games, team building. We play and we, we make a fool out of ourselves. It's all acting techniques, clown techniques, which I have also practiced and, and done as an amateur actor. And I do that with the students. It's usually a group of 10, 12, 15 people maximum. And they, it's, I'm usually, I'm sorry to say it, but I'm usually told that it's usually the most intense experience in their life. 
They're students, usually in conservatories, 20, 22, 25 years old, sometimes 50, 60 years old, which are the best students, to be honest. <laughs> and many times that because they never not only talked about this, because many teachers are good teachers and they tell them stu their students, you should meditate, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. But it's not only your brain who has to learn these concepts, it's the body. And you only learn that through practice and experience and going through those emotions and those fears, not only talking about them. You should talk about them at the psychologist, uh, yeah, <laughs> which I do with my <laughs> psychologist. But then this other kind of teaching should be conducted in conservatories, I think. I remember you were playing in the last round of the competition and I remember even more strongly the, the feeling that the orchestra liked you. And the way I knew it was that you finished your round and everybody went backstage and they said, we think he's going to win. Now, when you left the stage, did you think the same? I'm going to win? No, I thought, thanks God, this is over. <laughs> and I went out and I had a walk or whatever. Bear also in mind that this was two years ago, 2021, and it was an awful year. I had to do quarantine upon arrival here for two weeks. Wow in a flat with other two competitors, each one with a room, a piano, a bathroom, whatever. And uh, then the competition itself, which had been postponed already a year. So it had been dragging in my mind for over an e a year. Then the finals. Uh, so yeah, COVID. Um, entering places here was, you needed a green pass. I'm sure you remember, of course. Yes. Then the war started and I was here. So uh, I wanted it to be over. And thanks God, now I came back to Israel and to be, tomorrow I'm leaving home. And to be honest, I feel grateful for these two weeks with the IPO. And I know this is usually what people say, like, I'm so grateful to work with such great artists, whatever. It's like the cliche, but I am. But because of a personal thing. Last time I was here was, was for the finals of the competition, which were, were, as I told you, stressful. They were in the middle of this COVID and the war. So the memory was tarnished, was, uh, not, was not a very pleasant one. There was a small trauma there. Like, we can use that word. It was a traumatic experience. Absolutely. And I needed some closure and reinterpretation of that. So coming here to Israel the weeks before, I was nervous because I was coming back after two years. And I was going to come back last year, but I got COVID, so I couldn't get into the plane. So I was coming here with all of this back history and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And what happened was the best thing I could have wished for. Great music, enjoying myself for every concert. An orchestra, as you said, supporting, like even making some friends in it with a great conductor, Lahav, who also supported me and... There was no trace of the trauma anymore. So now I've substituted these memories with far better memories. I love it that, that you have actually this reconciliation with yourself. Yes, I did. And now, actually, you're, you're playing with us. Today, you're going to play the last concert out of eight concerts. <laughs> yes. And I, I wonder, usually as a soloist, you play maybe two or three concerts with an orchestra. This time, eight concerts in a row. Obviously, a different experience. Is it... A positive one? Did you learn something new about the piece that you're playing about yourself? 
I did, I did. It was completely new. As you said, I never did this. Eight concerts all in nine days. I learned so much about the piece, which I already knew very well because I had played it many times. But now I, I know it intimately. I think we all can afford now daring more because we have worked it so much. I have also I I have been surprised by not getting bored on, on stage. To be honest, outside of the stage, like every day, every morning, the routine, it's it's okay. But funny enough, I'm gonna miss it in some <laughs> sense because we develop a routine here. It's like a microcosmos of a society. The orchestra and I every evening, some mornings, coming back again. It's a routine, and human beings tend to like routine and get bored of it at the same time. It's always this inherent tension to our job. Exactly. We repeat, which is good, but then we shouldn't repeat. So, And I was happy to see that I could find still more things in the piece each day. In the second half of the concert, we're playing Petrushka by Stravinsky, yes. and you're playing the piano part in the orchestra. Now... Usually pianists are stuck alone in the room, mm. practicing, I don't know, for how many hours a day. Too many. Too many hours a day. And suddenly you are part of this huge orchestra. You are part of making the sound not as a soloist, but part of the sound that grows in the orchestra. How, how is this feeling? How does it, do you like it to be part of a group and not just being alone? I love it. I've always done so much chamber music. It's one of my passions. I've done a lot of chamber music in my life. I think every musician should, especially pianists. So this is like chamber music, but grandioso. It's like all over the, uh, the place. It's over the top chamber music. And also what you said, the position of the piano itself is in the orchestra. And I just love that. When I play and conduct from the piano some uh, Mozart piano concertos or Beethoven, the piano is in a very similar position, and I always love that because the contact with the orchestra is usually lost in some ways, in many ways, in this traditional position for the soloist, the concert, uh, for the uh, uh, piano concert, not in the Petrushka. And I'm loving it, and I'm learning so much I, uh, uh, from Lahav, from watching Lahav, and from being also surrounded by the winds, the strings, uh, and just being like bathed. Um, this on the sound on the, of the orchestra and with this masterpiece, which is so much fun and it's so beautiful. I love listening to your talk because, as you said, you're just 30 years old, but it seems like you have already thought through many ideas. Mm -hmm. Is this something that, that keeps you busy, like making mental notes and, and, and thinking psychologically and mentally philosophy about the music world? Yes, uh, yeah. That was the only way I could survive. Have so? Uh, it's in my DNA. I am hyperactive, maybe, with a tendency to, to see things on the dark side, maybe, or like on the negative side. So I had to learn to enjoy things on my terms. And for that, you need a lot of thinking and reflection. I love reading. I love philosophy, I love movies, I, 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 I'm a very curious person, for good and for bad. And because of this profession, I spend many hours alone. 
like these two weeks. Yeah. So it eventually you 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 I mean you are alone with your thoughts for a long time, which is great, but it has a limit. At some point, you get bored of yourself, and it's like enough. And then you start you know, the paranoia starts right, which looks like thinking, but it's not thinking. It's just intruding on garbage thoughts. So. But you know, it leads immediately to the, to the question, so had you not won this competition or other competitions, you would spend less time alone. Probably. Although I like being alone as well. Not in general, but I like having my moments alone. Uh, no, before going in competitions, I was already this kind of, uh, of person, I think. And actually, the lesson I had to learn and I still have to learn is letting go. Because when we have a certain skill set and certain tools that work, work kind of, or like they work in certain situations, we get, we, we tend to, to stick to them and we get afraid of using other tools and we don't develop them. And we try to go through life only with those tools. Uh, no one skill set is enough for life. So it's hard to let loose, let go of your instincts of, or of the, the mm, path that you are used to. In my case, rationality, let's say, right? Analysis. But I had to learn, too, uh, for the stage, for my performances, for my music. But mm, at the end of the day, for my health as well. Yeah. Before coming here, we were talking about, about the education yes. that young musicians get uh, during their, their study time, but then they have to meet reality. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice or a point that you want the listeners to take away from you know, your experience? You're, yes. you're very successful. What should they maybe think about? Yes. Okay, so I think the most useful thing for them... It's this. My experience would not be very helpful for most of them because statistically, most of them won't win Rubinstein competition. Absolutely. But like statistically, I was not supposed to win it either. So learning and building your life around winning Rubinstein competition or whichever competition should not be the way That should be something that happens in your life, if it happens. So I think the best advice I personally can give from what I see in the reality of our profession is that music is so wide, they don't even know. They can be composers, composers for film music, video games music, sound design. They can work backstage. They can be programmers festival managers, they can be music managers, they can be arrangers, they can be chamber music uh, musicians, they can play in orchestras, they can play in tutti or in solo inside an orchestra, they can conduct, they can play jazz, rock, they can change instruments, they can be multi-instrumentalists, they can be musicologists, they can be anything in music. They can go into music therapy, become psychologists and use art therapy. And I'm just saying whatever comes to mind. What I mean is that playing Prokofiev's second piano concerto is not music. It's one thing you can do in music. 
but don't train only to play the great piano concertos because, spoiler alert also, if you kind of like make it, as they say, most of the great soloists nowadays, they don't do this, only this. Those times, if they ever existed, are over. Maybe Sokolov or Kissing, they still do that. They come from a different generation. And also, we come back to the question, would you really like to be that kind of star? Would you really want to play Tchaikovsky Concerto 40 times a year? That's my question. Open question. <laughs> I've seen you online. You have a very uh, strong presence yes. online, different social medias. Mm -hmm. um, I, for example, started my podcast during the pandemic. Mm. I was podcast addict, and then I decided to start my own podcasts. What brought you to... And my actually, my initial idea was to bring my love, my appreciation to this world of music to the public. And then for some unknown reason, thousands of people are listening to my words nice. and my guests, which makes me very happy. Nice. What is your idea of, of being so present in the social media? You're doing so much. Mm -hmm. Well, it's true that I would like also to make music available for more for more people for sure that's one reason but i don't want to be like this messiah of like i'm doing this for the audience i'm doing it for myself as well i started doing it in youtube and that's not a coincidence i did it because i love cinema and i wanted to start learning things about cameras plain and simple and then i decided okay what can i do so record myself and i wanted to have also experience in front of a camera and be at ease when being recorded, and then learning how to edit the video, which is the part I love the most. So as everything we do in life, whether we want to admit it or not, we do it for the audience, yes, but the first audience member is, is, is me. So I play for the people, but the first listener, listener who is listening to my music is me. Do you said yourself that you are very critical about yourself. Do you find that you get you let loose when you do videos when you are kind of more, yeah yes yes yes. Although I'm very critical when doing my videos as well, <laughs> I have like hours of material recorded that I will never edit that I even deleted, like but hours of like uh, written down scripts that I recorded and uh, I started editing and then I said no no I'm not doing this hours of material which are in the garbage. Do you feel that the young musicians of nowadays should learn besides making music to learn social media, to learn how to uh, market themselves, how to do these things? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, I wish we shouldn't, but we, it's, an, it's a useful tool. Which, and I have a hate-love relationship with it. From what you said, I separate my relationship with like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, than that with YouTube. What I do in YouTube, I try to be artistic to the point that in YouTube I have some videos which are just artistic videos, documentaries about my grandmother or about Orpheus, Orpheus the legend of Orpheus or something like that. And I do that because it's an artistic expression. I want it to, 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 to explore. Yeah. I love to finish my episodes with a question... It has nothing to do with, with your career. Mm -hmm. 
I would love to ask you for a recommendation, artistic or cultural recommendation, a, bu a book, a movie, a poem, anything. Y yes. There has been so many great films lately. Uh, so the film that won the Oscar, Everything Everywhere, All at Once, to be honest, it rules. It's one of the best cinematic experiences I had in the last months. In the cinema, not uh, in your iPad. RRR, also this Indian movie, is really amazing. I'm reading now a great novel called The Sea, The Sea by Idris Murdoch which is fascinating. It's this kind of thing like you don't know why you keep reading it, but you keep reading it. It's, it's, it's a really fascinating thing. I recently watched The Last of Us, the TV series in, from HBO. Great series. I, I, I'm a, a gamer, a game lover, so I play the video games and I love them. So, <laughs> Thank you, Juan, for this wonderful conversation. I enjoyed getting to know you and your interesting ideas, everything that you spoke about. If you have any questions for Juan or me, feel free to comment on the Facebook page Strings Attached Podcast or find me on Instagram, Asafmoz. In the next episode, I'm hosting the fantastic clarinet player Martin Frost. We spoke about practicing, body language, and how to stay creative. I'm Asaf Maoz, and thank you for listening to Strings Attached. Strings Attached